This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today... We are bringing you the mama of all mullets. Her kid has got a mullet for days, man. It, it <laughs> is epic, and she embraces it, loves it, owns it, markets it. And of so course, we're this... talking about Kalia Kramer from 212 Insurance Group in Coleman, Alabama. What's up, guys? What's happening? Is this like a ten- Tennessee top hat mullet, Kentucky waterfall? What are we dealing with? I'm going definitely ape drape. Yes, <laughs> and it's it's curly. Obviously, I'm, he gets it for me, not the mullet, but just the curls. But it's it's a flex. I have to I have to admit. I'm not going to lie. It would be so much more epic if you actually did, in <laughs> fact, have a mullet too. In fact, you may want to go there. Like, just, I'm not <laughs> not going to throw out a bunch of free marketing and branding ideas today. But you with the mullet, you're you are literally business in the front, away from it happening. Oh, absolutely. Definitely always party in the back. Always. Uh, <laughs> is he rocking pit vipers too? Just cruising around? How old oh, is he? yeah. Oh, he's nine. And he actually won second place in the USA Mullet Championship. So he, yeah, he, he and he, he won pit vipers and they're lime green. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. That is amazing. So talk a little bit. I mean, look, we could go for days on the mullet and why it's the right haircut amongst any other things. But before we get into all of that, why, why are you in insurance, Kalia? How did you end up doing this for a living? So I actually went to college to be a home ec teacher, which I guess if you look at me, it makes more sense to be a home ec teacher. But, you know, halfway in, I was like, dude, I don't like kids. Like, you know, I like, you know, my kids that I like, but like a lot of it, you know, just wasn't for me. And we actually had that huge tornado outbreak, which I know you're familiar with Alabama um, in 2011. And one of the things that I saw were helpers. And I was like, you know, I want to be a helper in my community. And that's what it's always been about for me is being heavily involved in the community and being someone that gets out there and puts the puts the hard work and the labor work into insurance other than just, you know, being a salesperson. I never wanted to be a salesperson. I always wanted to be an agent of good. So that's where I started from. I started as a CSR with Allstate, moved up to an associate agent, and then one day decided the independent route was for me and opened my agency. How easy Hmm. has that road been? Well, I will tell you this. Uh, Years ago, um, and that's actually what I named my agency, 212 Insurance Group. I attended a marketing event the 212 theory when you know water's hot it boils at 212 degrees you just extra degree um so i attended a marketing event with that and the biggest thing i learned from that was create your brand and i never would sell for all state i obviously i wrote for all state but i sold for myself and i created a brand years ago and and that would be my biggest advice for young agents is create your own brand because still to this day it's funny people will go to the dmv to get their their tags and they'll say you know who do you have your insurance with oh 212 insurance group and they maybe with safeco nationwide whoever so i would say if if you're willing to put in the hard work i i i'm a hard worker i may not be you know the smartest one in the room the most educated but i am the hardest worker most of the time and i will you know brag on that any day so it has been um, 
from what it looks like from the outside, it has been easy, but at the same time, it's been a lot of work and it still is a lot of work and, and that's okay because I enjoy that. So, so how did you transition from that CSR role into, you know, an agent? Like what, what's prompted that? So when I started, I started with a scratch all say agent, right? And he, um, he was also, hey, listen, new. hold on, man. Yeah. Ain't no kid with an epic mullet like that working. You know, he ain't living in a CSR's house. Mama got to bring home the bacon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's got to yeah. be able to take care of that guy's lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, and it was, I wasn't a CSR long. I maybe for four or five months, and I'm just going to be straight up with y'all. I don't like people telling me what to do. Like, and it was, I was young then I was 21, about to be 22 when I started an insurance. And I knew from a long time, even when I was younger, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went to school to be a teacher because of the cool benefits. But at the time I was like, I just want my face to be on something good. You know, it doesn't have to be something huge. It doesn't have to be like to make millions and millions of dollars everywhere. Obviously that would be nice. But at the same time, I wanted to be on something good. I wanted my face to be on advertisements at the football field so people knew that I did good in my community. So quickly it became, okay, I I, I love the servanthood of insurance. And then it became, okay, but I want to lead and I want to do better and I want to sell. And I've always been in sales. When I was recruited to work for Allstate, I was actually, well, worked for a cell phone company for years while I was in college. So, and I like to talk to people. So that's how I think it just built from there. Cool. So what's your niche? Like what, what do you, what do you find yourself spending the most time working on? What's the most rewarding? What do you like the most? Dude, you're just gonna, this is the epitome of somebody that has a mullet or her, their child has a mullet. I love chicken houses, trailer parks, and contractors. <laughs> I do churches. Church is a hard market right now, but that was my, that's my main thing that I advertise for is chicken houses, trailer parks, and churches. So, okay, that's, yeah. I have no, I have nothing. To yeah, I, was that, <laughs> I mean, what I am gonna do for my YouTube people is I'm gonna go ahead and share a screen real quick because I feel like you need to see the luscious locks. Oh yeah, I'm trying to see this. Here we go. It's there. Your son's name's Ezra, right? Yeah, I, that's what I thought. Ezra's not gonna have any idea how internet famous he's fixing to become. Oh gosh. Kyle, look at this. I'm waiting. Oh, hold on. I, I picked the wrong screen. Yeah, I'm we're on Sundays. I've seen that. Yeah, before. hold on a second. I was showing that to somebody who was trying to figure out how to look some stuff up. There you go. Oh, hell yeah. Come on, <laughs> man. Don't tell me With that the guy didn't. Red, know white, and blue on the sides. I mean, come on. on. We can scroll. We can we can scroll for days right here. This is fucking amazing. And he has teeth now, unfortunately. He was like... This would be oh. way, be way better if he didn't. I know. It was so much cooler when he had no teeth. This is incredible. I, I just... Oh, finger guns? Oh. Come on, man. This finger is incredible. This is fantastic. I love this kid. This kid's my spirit animal, man. For I sure. can't help but smile every time I see a picture posted. And I oh, know yeah. that like, there's so many other people who say the exact same thing. But I mean, look, it's not it's not been easy for you. I know that you've you've had some things that you've had to deal with in your personal life as well. And I yeah. think all of us have that to a certain degree. It's just that some people talk about it and some people don't. And, you know, we my my. um, I don't want to necessarily say struggles as much as I would say challenges are pretty well documented with what we um, what we have going on at the house with Ethan. And that's mm -hmm. not always been easy. And certainly it has it wasn't easy opening a scratch agency when I'm dealing with a, with a lot of that and trying to get diagnoses for him and everything else. But, you know, I think that that for those of us who have the ability to deal with that adversity and then just set it to the side and know that there's something much bigger that you're working for, like all kidding aside, knowing that that kid's got a smile on his face like that and just look loves life. Like, Kyle, you should see some of the basketball footage like. Yeah. I, I, yeah, she'll, she, during basketball season, he's out there just, just freaking owning it exactly like you would expect him to. But I mean, talk about that a little bit. I've got to believe part of the reason why you're in insurance and that you decided you wanted to be 
your own boss and not have people tell you what to do is also to give you the ability to travel and have flexibility in your schedule. I know that, uh, you know, looking at this, that you've got a man in your life that wasn't Mm -hmm. there when I first started following you on social and you've got the freedom to go around and, you know, take trips and do that. So talk about that a little bit, because I think that's one of the things that so many times gets lost in our industry is people see the ability to make the money and to have the nice things, but they're doing it at the expense of so much more. And, you know, I wouldn't want to have the nice things and make the money if I couldn't actually use it to go have fun with my family and everything else. Right. So talk a little bit about what that's been like for you as you built the agency. So a lot of the, I go around a lot in my area and I do speak a lot about being, um, breaking a statistic, a generation, generational statistic, because in all reasoning, if you look at me on paper, I should have. I should never have gotten to where I was now. If you look at it from that type of standpoint, I was born to teenage parents. I came home to a trailer, you know, didn't graduate college because I developed a drinking issue because I did have mental illness. And that is something that I am very vocal about. Um, A lot of people, you probably have seen this. I think I actually shared a post the other day. Um, I actually had a suicide attempt the year before I opened my agency. And for a long time, um, I was dealing with a lot of childhood trauma and I was undiagnosed bipolar too. And that was something that I was very vocal about. And I think that that is another reason I've done so well in my agency because I am, it's okay to talk about it. Just like with, with your, everything with your situation and the trials and tribulations you go through with your son, like it's okay to talk about those things. And Um, with my bipolar diagnosis, um, that was a big thing for me because a lot of people with bipolar, you know, they have ADHD and we joked around, I think it was actually, you joked around about at soup live last year that most people in the insurance industry probably do have some type of ADHD because we're, you know, we just get on the ebbs and flows of life. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I went through a lot of abuse in my life, whether, you know, it be, with with people in the past or people in the present and it became evident for me when I opened my agency like I wanted to do more for me and for Ezra and um, just like you had mentioned um, Jamie who was my high school sweetheart you know we've developed this little family with his two children and then with Ezra and he is a big cheer big cheerleader for me um, and that's important when you have a business as well because it is like you said a lot of people look at the good and they see that you know I'm a lot like you in the sense that I love to shop I love to have nice clothes I mean you are definitely Gucci I'm queen of sparkles which is super tacky <laughs> but I love it I you love know what it. my problem is so though is my wife my, she loves my, I was gonna say stuff. my yes. my problem is and, and I I, I kind of joke about this but it's really it's really kind of scary too. You know, most relationships have a spender and a saver. We're both spenders. Oh God, we're both too, big so time spenders. It's it's yeah. the worst. Mm-hmm. And our kids are the same way. Oh my gosh, our kids are all we're all the same. And you know, that was the biggest thing. Is just I wanted to be transparent because I never wanted people to look at me and think she came from something. And like you know, and that's okay. There are agents out there that you know inherited their family's agencies. That's fine. You know, that's awesome. I hope that one day that they, you know, they still have to run it. Like you can yeah. inherit whatever you want, but you still but have you to run the business. Still have to work exactly. And I wanted people to look at me and say, you know, I know where she came from, and she worked her ass off to get here, and to see that all those things. I mean, I made a post on Facebook last year. I had um, a psychiatrist appointment. And I put on my door at my agency, my employees are remote, but I work for my agency. And I put on there that I was closed because I had a psychiatrist appointment. And, you know, for a long time, I'd put close to go to the doctor, close to do whatever. But I want people to know, like, you can be successful and you can be a business owner and you can bust your ass to do what you need to do. And sometimes it takes staying up till three, four o'clock in the morning to catch up because you've had a bad day. But as long as you do it and you get out there and you're willing to put the work in, you're going to be fine. You just don't use it as an excuse. I mean, it would be so easy to do that, but uh, yeah. you know, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to rewind a little bit. I'm going to ask you a pointed question and I'm doing it for selfish reasons as much as anything else. Cause I do, I do talk about ADHD a lot. Most of the time when I talk about it, immediately people start giggling because just like OCD and some other things, it's become 
you know, sort of flippantly just thrown around as, you know, oh, excuse my OCD. I have to have everything in its right place. When in reality, it's a really bad affliction. If you've ever met somebody who's who's who has OCD and needs to be medicated for it. And, and, And I have people in my life specifically that that are diagnosed and need to be medicated for it. And my God, when they don't take the medicine, it's bad. Right. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. You know, so my my question is, you know, not that I want to put I don't want to put like, look, we ain't ordering Thai food. We're not going to label one through 10 as to how hot it is. But I do think that ADHD. For somebody who doesn't have it, struggle with it, deal with it, probably relatively harmless, maybe more annoying than anything else. I think that if you get a have a bipolar diagnosis, that that is probably a much more serious die. I mean, again, I know I'm, I'm walking a tightrope here, but to me, that feels like it's a much more serious diagnosis or that people perceive it to be more serious or take it more seriously. And I have a good friend, Jason Cass, who's very well known in, in, in the insurance industry, who is bipolar and open about him having him being bipolar and having to take his medication and everything else. My question is, when you were going through that, you had to have known something wasn't right, right? Because I do like I have adult diagnosed ADHD. That's why I Mm -hmm. talk about it is because people need to understand it's not a punchline. It's like a legitimate thing. And if you don't know how to deal with it and get it under control, it can be something that brings you down. Or Mm -hmm. if you learn how to manage it, you can use it to be a superpower. And that's what I've chosen to do. So my question is, you know, personally, I always I'm a direct person. Like there are no secrets. If you ask me, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? What like what bothers you about this? My opinion is, if you ask me, you deserve to hear the answer. And I'm not going to be a jerk about it, but I'm pretty direct in what I say in I tried to tell people, you know, hey, look, I'm not being this way intentionally. It's I can't control certain things that are impulsive. It's just the way that it is. And I used to get really, really, really frustrated because I didn't, you know, ADHD wasn't something that was diagnosed or medicated for when I was a kid. Your parents just beat the living crap out of you with whatever they could find because you were disrespectful and, and, you know, loud and rowdy or whatever else. And I was in my 40s when I got diagnosed. So it hasn't really been that long. How frustrating is it for you or was it for you to know that, you know, something wasn't wasn't right and you needed to seek help? You needed to get that diagnosis. But I mean, that's a pretty significant level of frustration, I would imagine, living that way, not really knowing what's going on and having other people judge you as a result. It is. And I'll tell you the hardest thing with all of that is um, I'm a woman. So a lot of it was your mom and you're tired and you work hard and you do PMS, this and you do that. Right. Let's throw it out. Oh, you, she's got PMS worse this month yes. than, than before. Yes. And I mean, it becomes naturally. I mean, I can see where it would go immediately. Yeah. And it was it was rough. And and a lot of mine working with my psychiatrist and my therapist, a lot of the situation, a lot of what I dealt with is um, first of all, it took forever to get in with a psychiatrist because of the, you know, the way everything is right now with mental health. And um the what was most frustrating for me is I had, like I mentioned before, I had a drinking problem up until I got pregnant. And then I quit cold turkey after that. And a lot of the reason that You know, at that time, that's when I started struggling really bad, which ended up being, oh, you're just postpartum, you're this, you're that. I was put on so many medicines for years that that weren't they they weren't helping. And when I spoke to my psychiatrist the first time, she asked me, she said, have you ever been diagnosed with ADHD? And I said, no, I haven't. And she explained to me that a lot of times when you have ADHD as a child and you are neglected and just like you said, you know, a lot of parents, they don't believe that, you know, I think we're better now at this point because mental health is out there a little bit more, but back then people didn't believe in it. And a lot of what people don't realize is bipolar is stemmed from what's the way your brain is made up and ADHD, ADD is also. So I was undiagnosed ADHD for so long that because of that and my childhood trauma, my brain developed to the bipolar two and it learned to cope. Um, bipolar two is a little different from bipolar one. Bipolar two is depression and bipolar one is more mania. Um, so there would be times where I would have manic spells before I was medicated and before I was going to my psychiatrist where I was a rock star. I was getting stuff 
stuff done. Mm-hmm. I was killing it at work, killing it at home. But then you have your crash where you're depressed for three or four days. And that's actually what led in 2020 to I ended up with bipolar psychosis because I was weaning off of a medicine that the doctor gave me, not my psychiatrist, just a regular doctor thinking this is going to help you. This is going to help you. You're tired. You're worn out. But then it turned into, no, you actually have a mental disability, but we're going to make you able to function with it. And once they got my medicine corrected, and it's like you said, it's a really, it's really weird. Cause like on TikTok, if you ever get on there now, it's like, oh, I'm ADHD. I forgot my keys. I forgot. No, mine <laughs> would be, oh my God, where is my child's birth certificate? I don't need it right now, but I haven't seen it in three days. I need to drive home from this meeting. I'm at an hour and a half away and dig through everything that I have to find it. Or, Uh, you know, just little things like that and or staying up all night. There would be days that I would up for two days at a time, just doing different things, but getting nothing done. And mm -hmm. it was then you would get to you're exhausted and you're tired and you're worn out and you haven't been on a schedule. So it is it was extremely frustrating, you know, and now that I am on the right medication and I am where I need to be, I can do the things that I need to do. I, and I'm on point with things that I need to be on point with. Um, but at the same time, like, just like you had mentioned your friend, if I don't take my medicine, like it's my responsibility, not to me, but to, to me, of course, but to my agency, to my son, to everyone around me, to make sure that I'm doing the things that I need to do. Because going back to what I mentioned earlier, it would have been a lot easier for me to be a victim of what I grew up in and the challenges yeah. that I faced, but I, who wants easy? Sometimes who wants easy? I mean, it could <laughs> be that way, but I chose not to let that well, overtake my life. So that's, that's off to you for that mentality about it. Cause there's not well, a the lot of people is, that would. Yeah. The thing is too, like when you're going through trying to get the medication dialed in and figuring out what's going to work and what's not, you glossed over it a little bit that you that were cannot coming, be a fun process. I was going to say oh, that you were coming terrible. off of a medicine, but these these drugs that you're given, like they take their toll on your body. Like they yeah. they have, like there's not a there's not one of them that's not like a, a powerful medication, right? So right. you know just just understanding, and I mean, I my son Ethan, his he's got several you know, issues that, that he was born with. One of them is an agenesis of the corpus callosum, which is the superconductor of the two hemispheres of your brain. So that's what allows your right brain and your left brain to talk to each other. And his is underdeveloped. Like, and it, it doesn't develop once you're born. It happens prenatally. And it's something where a lot of people are afflicted with a genesis of the corpus callosum. Many times they live into their 60s or 70s and don't even know that they have it if it's not bad. And then they get into an auto accident or something and they get sent for an MRI and a doctor comes out and is like, hey, never noticed you were a little clumsier than other kids or maybe this, that, or the other. And like, oh yeah, well, it's because of this. And they show them they're like, holy cow, it makes a whole lot of sense about things I dealt with over the course of my life. And to a certain degree, that's kind of what I feel like getting diagnosed as an adult. Cause a whole lot of crap that I got in trouble for in my childhood years <laughs> makes way more sense now, but yeah. you know, he also has um, what's called paraventricular leukomalacia, which is low white brain matter, which only white brain matters only is produced. De- prenatally. Yeah. Yeah. So if with Ethan, if your brain matter is low, one of two things happens either It stays where it is and you just live the rest of your life with low white brain matter or Mm -hmm. it continues to deteriorate and it turns into progressive white brain disease, which is 100 percent fatal. So when you talk Mm -hmm. about, you know, building a business from scratch and having to keep your eye on the ball, you know, the way they determine whether or not you have that uh, progressive white brain disease is they take a benchmark MRI which in our instance was when Ethan was 18 months old. And then they have to wait 18 months and take another one. So for 18 months, we it's didn't know just it, excruciating. Yeah, we didn't yeah, know if our kid was going to live to see 10 years old or not. Right. So yeah. every birthday he has beyond 10 is a bonus, you know, a bonus birthday for him. But I mean, I can imagine the amount of pressure that, that, I mean, I know the amount of pressure that I have on me every day that I've had on me historically, and it feels like, you know, we've had a certain amount of that weight lifted because we have, you know, my wife, God love her, 
I, I talk about it all the time. He was born 100% to the right parents because she just will not let it go. Like she is on all the doctor's appointments, the medications and everything and stays very much well-read on all the stuff surrounding his affliction. I can't imagine what it would be like when you're the one that's going through that. I mean, it's tough mm. as a parent. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying one's easier and one's harder because I feel like, you know, one of the things having, you know, now that I've had my kids for, you know, Grayson's going to be 21 this year, you know, you look at life differently when it's something with one of your kids, you just wish you could put it on your shoulders and you could carry the load for them. You know, even as something as simple as when Caroline gets sick, I, if I could be sick instead of her having to be sick, I'd rather it happen to me than hers. So she doesn't have to deal with it. But when you're the one, when you're the one going through it, I mean, how do you, what was it for you that like flipped the switch? Did you have a family member get involved and say, Hey, look, you, you know, just come and smack you around a little bit and say, you know, you need to get your head head right. Or is it something that happened in your life specifically that you knew, Hey, look, I need to, I need to find somebody to tell me what's going on. Because what the reason I'm asking this for all of you who were listening and haven't figured it out yet is because some of you guys are struggling with stuff like this and you don't know where to go and you don't know who to ask. And certainly we want to get back into the insurance piece of this, but I do think as long as Kalia is willing to be open and a little bit vulnerable about what her struggle has been. It's going to help a tremendous number of people. It always does when we get into real life issues, instead of just talking about great ways to prospect. Right. I'll tell you two of the main things that anybody that's listening that may be struggling. I want them to remember is fake it till you make it crap. That is the worst. That is the worst thing ever is to fake it till you make it because that is something that I dealt with for a long time. And exactly what you said, for a long time, I was being treated and was still struggling and would put a fake face on for people to see. And my aunt, who's also bipolar, she pulled me aside at Easter and she said, I want to tell you something. She said, you can smile all day long. You can handle everything because, you know, I I was doing a lot of things. I, I volunteer a ton in my community. I was running my business, um, you know, at that time, that was before I opened my agency. So I was still a producer and then managing another agency while I was producing for them and then doing everything like just normal kid stuff. I mean, you have children, you know, we've got basketball practice, we've got football practice, we've got taekwondo, we've got tutoring, we've got this and that because you want to pour into your kids and make them better than you. And she pulled me aside and she was like, your eyes are tired. Like, I need you to go see a psychiatrist because whatever's going on with you is you're not being taken care of. You're not being helped. There's more to it. And so I went and I, I went to the her and then that's when, you know, I had the, the diagnosis and then went through, like I said, the, what they call a bipolar psychosis where I was weaning off the medicine and actually onto the medicine that I needed for bipolar. And that's when I had my suicide attempt. And a lot of people don't realize that that was another thing is it's scary. Like I was having hallucinations and, you know, every once in a while, like I still do. And that's the biggest thing is you still have to take care of yourself and you have to rest and you have to make sure that you're putting you first. And then going back to what I mentioned earlier, the second thing I would mention to people that are, that may be struggling is this hustle hard situation. People want to say you hustle, you hustle. And that's a huge thing that I've learned from a lot of mentors. Um, even you is yes, you want to work hard, but you need rest. Go on vacation with your family. You, there's mm -hmm. no sense in you sitting in your office and working on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, 4th of July. You have to have that downtime because the hustle hard thing, it, it, in my opinion, it will set you up for failure. Yes, work hard. Be the hardest worker in the room, but work smarter. Do the work when the work needs to be done and make sure that you're taking time to take care of yourself because it you can't run a business on empty. You can't drive a car on empty. So why can you expect to mentally run a business when you're on E all the time? You can't, yeah. you can't service your clients. You can't build a business like that. And that was something that I struggled with when I first opened my agency is I'd only been diagnosed for a year. Um, I talked with my psychiatrist heavily about it, talked to my therapist heavy, heavily about it. And that was a huge thing for me was, for the first three or four months, I was chasing the numbers because I was putting up big numbers um, in my agency. And I was like, you know, Michael McCormick actually mentioned to me one day, he said, you are more than the numbers. You realize that, right? You're more than the numbers. And when I started to look at it that way, and when I turned it back to what I wanted my agency to be about, you know, serving the people around me, about educating the people around me, the numbers made themselves happen. And I would go back to anything with that with with any producer that is struggling right now 
it's okay if you're a producer, if you're an agency owner, it's okay to take a hat off. It's okay to rest. It's okay to take a day off if you need it. It will be there when you get back. Yeah. I think it's so, probably in like the nature of most agency owners, business owners is to want to try to do everything yourself because it's, it's your agency. It's your, it's your company. It's your business. It's your, it's your project or your baby or whatever, but there's a difference between working hard and just, you know, neglecting yourself and those around you. Um, So I I think that's an important point. I mean, it's something that's kind of hit home for me recently. I just had a, uh, a younger cousin pass away from, from cancer. She had a two-year-old daughter and it's just like, I don't, I don't know. um, It's made me kind of reevaluate things and, and how I want to approach things, especially with, with, you know, with, with my kids and all that. But there's definitely a group of people out there that, like you said, you know, hustle, grind and work, you know, all sorts of crazy hours. And of course, like when you're, when you're getting up and running, you kind of have to do that sometimes. But if, if, if that's how you're going through every single day, I mean, you need to reevaluate that in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And, and it goes back to, you know, like you said, you know, I'm so thankful my first year that I had my agency open, like I hit some big record numbers and it was just me producing and then my CSR. And I'm very thankful now in the market that we're in that I was able to put up so much for the renewals that are coming up. Um, So I am thankful for that, but it's just like you said, do it because you want to do it, do it because you love to do it do it because of those things and not because you're trying to block out what's in your, what's in your mind. And I struggle with that a lot. I would use work just like I use it. And I want to go into this because I have dealt with addiction in my life, not only with the things that I dealt with, with drinking, but with my family and we all are addicts in some way. And we look at addiction like bad, like we're addicted to alcohol, we're addicted to drugs, we're addicted to even some people addicted to sex, but we look at it in such a negative connotation. But us going to the gym obsessively, us working obsessively is just as bad. So as long as you're working your tail off in insurance or whatever you're doing, but you're doing it because you're enjoying it and it's bringing joy to your life and you're doing it for the good, then I think that that is a fine line that a lot of people you know, get to. I, I had a, somebody tell me years ago that it's okay to be a little greedy. It's okay to be a little greedy, but then you get to that point where you're Scrooge and you, you know, you're, you're getting to the point where it's, it's for the wrong reasons and it's not for whatever. So I would, I would use that as a good example is don't use your work and your career to block out what you're struggling with because it's all going to implode. I mean, I dealt with that myself. I had to deal with an, an explosion in my own life before I could get to where I'm at now. And it's okay to turn your dang phone off. It's okay to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's talk about where you're at now. You mentioned that it was you and a CSR back when you're yes. getting cranked up. Talk about what's going on now. So, I, oh my gosh, I'm so picky. And this is something I need to work on as well. I'm, I'm actively looking for, I, I need to hire another CSR. I need to hire another producer. I had a VA on um, for a while and we've gotten so big so quickly. And I say so big so quickly. I mean, we're not, um, you know, huge by any stretch, but you know, we've grown our business to almost $2 million in two years and nice. have one producer, me producing, doing all the producing and the marketing. It's a lot and of chicken then, farms. Oh yeah. A lot of trailer parks. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that was the thing is I went after what people didn't want to do, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that helped and that's where we're growing. And I'm very thankful for that in the market that we're in now is we're, we're growing. And, and all of that has been organic growth. I've not bought an ad. I've not paid for any leads. You know, it's all word of mouth, getting out in the community, being involved, involved, creating a brand. And it's been pretty cool. Like it's been a great place. And I'm hoping, you know, we can keep growing as we need to and, you know, growing as quickly as we have. And hopefully we can find some good staff. That's the next goal is, you know, hiring some good staff to start taking nice. some over. Yeah. So what do you see? What's next on the horizon? So where we're at next is we are kind of rolling out um, to where we're wanting to hire a producer. And I say we, because I keep Kelsey, my CSR, heavily involved in a lot of what I do. She is the right-hand girl in my agency. She is good at everything that I am terrible at. She is 
tech savvy and you know that was a huge thing is hiring somebody that's better at those things than me and I I think uh, and I want to say I think it was you that had mentioned at Soup Live last year that said you know hire people that are that you get along with that have similar personalities but hire people that are better than you at things and she is better than me she is she picks up where I fall in a lot of things but we're wanting to hire personal lines because I'm trying to transition more to only doing commercial lines and I'm telling you I want to get into some funeral homes. You know, if I left insurance today, I would totally want to, I, w- I would want to be a mortician. That's so weird. Somebody asked me that the other day. They were like, what would you do if you didn't, ha- if you weren't insurance? I was like, I would totally be a mortician. That's strange. But anyways, that's don't have going. to worry about business. It's yeah. yes. Coming in. yes. They're dying to get there. Yeah. Well, I mean, interestingly enough, little, uh, little well known deal. I, my roommate in college, actually his family owned a chain of funeral homes and we used to come home on the weekends. We didn't have ball practice. Kyle's leaning in. He's real serious about hearing what's getting ready to happen. We would Mm -hmm. drive the hearse to go pick up bodies. Like that would be, we would earn extra money going to (laughs) drive the hearse to pick up bodies. And it was everything starting to make sense now. Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Though. Everything's starting to make a little bit more sense here, dude. If I could, that's what I want to go next with my business. You know, that's a cool thing that I've liked about it is not only do I write insurance for these places, for these chicken houses, and for contractors, and for you know the the trailer parks and you know churches. I get in there and get with them. I went in there and picked chickens up. I mean, I go make sure this hair is tied back so I don't stink like a chicken house all day. But I get in there and get with them. And, you know, that's been a cool thing is, you know, they let me come in there with the rubber boots. And I'm like, I want to see how this works while I'm insuring it. Let me see. I went and knocked on doors at the trailer park. I've got one lady. She's one of my favorite clients. I've had her for years and years. She followed me from the cell phone company I worked for when I was in college. And I go out there. I went out there collecting money with her rent because i was like i want to see what's what this business is all about and that's i mean hey if if there's a funeral home around coleman that wants to take me to pick up bodies hey i want to insure your business so i want to know what you're doing i want to see your risk and be hands-on in your risk and i think a lot of people don't want to get dirty with it but i'm okay let's get in there let's get to work I'll Some tell of you the what, trailers you, probably smell worse than the chicken coops. Oh, I don't know man I, I don't know if you've ever been <laughs> into a chicken a chicken house it's no, like, I've been in a chicken coop, but not a chicken house. I oh assume that they this are bottle right here is filled with straight ammonia, and I just hot box it. And it's hot. The just first one it. I inspected, I went in the winter, and I went in there, and like chicken crap heat just wafts at you. And you're like, oh my God, this is hot poop. That's the worst thing. It's just just terrible. And then you just have to go home. Like I I went home that day and took a shower and went back to work because I was like, I smell terrible. But it's funny now because Ezra will be like, oh my God, I smell a chicken house. I'm like, boy, that smells like money. That is where it's at. (laughs) Well, there you go. it's, It's crazy too, because, you know, they use bobcats, man. Like, I don't know how many people out there listening to this understand the inner workings of a chicken house, specifically an egg laying facility for me. I didn't deal with meat birds. It was, it was eggs, but they had bobcats, man, that would literally scoop the crap up off the floor and push it out into a big lagoon back behind the, the place. And that's, that's how they dispose of it. It's a big, get a nice, nice slurry going. Yeah. Yeah. Like your boy, Walt, (laughs) Like my boy Walt, <laughs> but that's exactly what it is, man. And it, it, you know, interestingly enough, I asked, I was the first person to ever ask this company about their environmental site liability policy. And they're like, what do you mean? Pollution? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we don't really, no, no, I said, no, 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 no. You're taking Bobcat scoops full of chicken manure and putting it out into a lagoon that at any given time could seep into the water table and get into the drinking water supply of people. Don't tell me there's not an exposure here. We just need oh, to yeah. figure out how much it's going to cost for you to fix it. And we ended up, we ended up successfully writing it, but my goodness, man, what a, um, what a learning experience. Number one and number two, if you, you know, again, for the people who don't deal in ag, you don't realize how many birds they cram into those places. Oh, number yeah. one, 
And if the ventilation system ever goes out for anything at all, those birds are dead in under an hour. Like all of them. They Mm. are. And even going back to what you're just talking about, like in the ag, you know, I do a lot of farms um, and I do crop farming as well. And a lot of these farmers don't think about, okay, if you overspray and you are, you know, doing whatever, like, for example, my, I've owned several acres out here in Coleman where I live. And just looking out my front window right now, I have nearly 10 acres of soybeans right now that I've leased out to somebody that has grown those in literally my front yard. And if they overspray and they kill somebody else's crop, a lot of them don't think you have to have coverage for those things. And, you know, that's the cool thing about business is being, and I guess this is where our ADHD kicks in because you get so excited about stuff right. like this. You, find you go down holes. a million different rabbit holes looking yes. for all these things that nobody else ever looks for because they don't, yeah. they don't like, it's not that they don't care. It's just, we all only have so much capacity. Whereas I'm the guy that's actually going to go down every single rabbit hole most of the time. Yes. Psychotically. Like this, that jokingly, that's what I tell my clients. But you know, the cool thing about that is, and this is just like a little nudge for everybody out there, is when you find a little hole like that, farmers eat breakfast with farmers. They're going to tell their farmer, hey, my homegirl over here told me if I ever spray and ruin somebody else's crop, that's going to be out of my business. If my ventilation system goes out, you know, if I'm polluting because, you know, we have to deal with that pollution here with a lot of people burn their chickens, which is disgusting. But they do. And, you know, that was something that you have to find those little holes for. And that's I mean, even going back to the trailer parks, like you think about people don't want to deal with trailer parks. But I'm going to tell you what. Most people that own trailer parks, those trailers are not the best. And they know they're not going to file for one trailer on fire. If we have a catastrophic loss, we're going to file for that. But typically, those people are going to pay everything on time. They're going to keep it going. And when you go out there and you inspect them, you know this is not the most beautiful thing in the world. But let's find the holes in here. So if there is a catastrophic loss, then we can do it. Nobody else is doing trailer parks. They're going to tell their trailer park friend that they eat lunch with. Hey, here it is. So... Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for being willing to go out and go after the business that other people typically don't want to go after, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you in all of my years, I've never once even remotely thought about cold calling trailer parks. Mm-hmm. Don't know anything mm. about them, right? But I know a guy who has a massive trailer park, like he ensures the associations, a massive program. And when you do, to your point, they talk to each other, not just even oh, yeah. at breakfast at different, you know, trade association meetings or, you know, whatever else it ends up coming back to pay you, you know, every single time if you do a good job at it. So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. And I do think that, you know, part of how I'm wired and it sounds like how you're wired too. I want to know, like, I don't want to just know the surface level stuff. I want to know everything. Like, and yep. I've done, I've done the same thing. Like there's, I can't even tell you the number of times. I've gone out and worked shifts at a prospect's place just to learn how their business operates, whether it be the production floor or, you know, the line in the kitchen or whatever else. But I do that, A, so that I can differentiate myself because I know my peer group is likely not going to do that. And B, because I have a general and genuine interest in learning what's going on just because I'm nosy and I want to know more stuff. And that's the thing, man. A lot of people will make fun of me because if I'm ever just sitting around and we're shooting the breeze, you could bring up almost any topic. And I have some type of relevant experience or ability to Mm -hmm. have a conversation around that topic. Right. But it's legit. It's because of the ADHD. I'm not it's it's not like I think a lot of times people think, oh, that guy's got a line of BS for everything. No, I actually back it up with like, oh, and by the way, on April 15th of 1994, I was, you know, I'll give them exactly how I yes. how and why I know it. And it's funny because when you start talking about experiences and things like that, you know, people are like, oh, I can't believe you've been an agent as long as you have. It seems like you've done almost everything. How many jobs have you ever have you really had? Well, I've really only had a, a handful of jobs, but in my job as an agent, I'm mm-hmm. just the dude that'll actually try everything once. Like I'll yep. go, you know, oh, you want me to inspect the the hot air balloon in that's taken off at sunrise over the canyon, blah, blah. Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll go do that. And then I can check that off inspect the list. Inspect a right? submarine that's going to the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, ne- <laughs> we'll never do that. Actually did a straw poll. Literally talk. I, I'm in a, a, a thread with Bradley and Scott from insurance guys and Aaron Robertson, our friend who lives in San Antonio. 
And when all of that stuff went down, I did a straw poll with those guys. And I said, I just want to see if I'm hanging with the right people. If you had the opportunity, you could not pay me. Would you go? Would you go? Where would you go first into space or two miles below the surface of the ocean to explore the Titanic? Oh, I'm going to Kentucky to look at the art, and that's as close as I'm getting to look at the Titanic. Can I go E, none of the above? Yeah, well, all my friends are like space, without a shadow of a doubt. I'm like, I ain't going to either one of them, man. I have zero aspirations to do any of that stuff. I would have an absolute heart attack. Like, I'm going to the Space and Rocket Center. And I'm going to have a <laughs> yeah. dot. Yeah, I'll go over to Titusville, go to NASA and check that out. Well, you yes. know what the interesting thing is, though? Like, what, what I heard, and I don't want to, <laughs> I mean, obviously a very tragic situation, so I don't want to make light of it. But one of, you know, what helps me make that decision, aside from the fact I just really don't want to be two miles below the surface of the ocean, they were looking at it through a screen, Dude, through a, a monitor. Like this big. It's no different than what they would have been looking at had they been on land and just sent a robotic, you know, submersible down to video the same thing. That it was literally just a flex to be able to say, "Hey, I was right. there." When yeah. in reality, like I don't even care about that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't honestly, I don't care about the Titanic enough to even yeah. give it a second no. look. I feel like I yeah. saw the movie. It's I'm like, good. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Sh- I know it's not historically. I know it, yeah, it's not historically factual, but I I I got the entertainment value and a few lines out of the movie that I could use. But I'm not going to go deep and 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 get into that. You know, now, I've, there never are seen, things, I've never seen it. Never seen the 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 movie. There are things though that I you know that I will go deep on. Right, like I I do really want to like Chris Voss, for example. You know, I read Never Split the Difference and. Decided this is something intriguing to me. Let me study more about human psychology. So I bought the master class and I watched that. I started, you know, following other people that he recommended because that's something of interest that I feel like benefits me in a skill set more than just casual conversation about, oh, did you see this, that, or the other? And I think that's the thing. You know, you get like I get really, really obsessive about certain oh, yeah. things, right? Yeah, and so like even even to the point the the uh, agency that I was at before Florida Risk, one of my biggest beefs was we didn't have a website three years in. How am I as a producer supposed to be out on the street, driving you know driving opportunities when the first thing people do is go to Google, they don't see a website, you know they try and find a website, there's not one there. I went to Barnes and Noble and bought a book called Smashing WordPress and read it. And for for 48 hours straight, stayed up. And I built the first website just following this book that I read um, for that agency. And yeah, you could tell that it wasn't a professional web designer, but that's just the way that I am. I feel like we're all equipped at this point to me. And I'm interested in your thoughts on this, because I do think that women have the deck stacked against them. I've said it, and I'll continue to say it until I don't think that anymore. And specifically in our industry, I think there's a lot of bias that comes with it. It's going to be very difficult to shake out. But I've never faced a problem to this point, whether it be at home or at work, that I can't just spend a little bit of time trying to figure out the solution and find out, figure out what the solution is going to be. Like, I'm not a handy dude, man. I'm the last guy you want coming to fix something at your house. (laughs) I've got all the tools because I think that I can figure it out. So I go buy the tools at Lowe's and I have them and everything. But, you know, now that we have YouTube and we have the ability to actually watch and all that other stuff. I have done things that I That's otherwise true. probably wouldn't have done. Like I go out sure. and like I changed the heating element in my dryer, which mm-hmm. required me taking the drum out and knowing how to put the, you know, the, the, the drive band on it and all of this other stuff. But if I would have paid somebody, it would have cost me half the price of the dryer to have somebody come out and fix it. Whereas I bought the part for a hundred bucks in, in an hour, I did it myself just by watching it on YouTube and it wasn't the fact that it saved me the hundred bucks that I was excited about. It's no, the, fact it's the satisfaction that it, of doing it and learning it. It, it actually it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it worked the way that it was supposed to. So nothing's better than that when it actually works the way it's supposed to. Even as something as dumb as my sprinklers, like yeah. they weren't shutting off at the end of the cycle. And I went out and like I, I was like looking at the valves. I kind of took them out and cleaned them out and got the diaphragm all, all you know, a bunch of shit out of there. And then it finally started working. I went back in the house. I was like, yeah, I got it. And Lisa's like, okay, weirdo. 
Yeah, because a lot of the time with the sprinkler system, it's a little pebble or something that got yeah. in there and wedged the diaphragm open yeah. and it can't shut the we can't shut the valve yep. and it just sits there and runs. But all that to say, Kalia, what's the biggest challenge that you feel like you faced and overcome and been the most proud of since you've started the agency? We'll just go with uh, a light little question like that. Yeah, okay. Sounds great. Uh, you know, and just going back to what you just said, like I, I grew up super poor, super dirt poor. Like we joke around all the time when we're talking about there's welfare poor and then there's me that we just ate crap out of our yard. Like we grew garden every year and I can and grow gar- like I, I'm obsessive right now with my garden because I just moved to this property. So I've been obsessively, you know, messing with the soil and getting, getting the pH and everything correct. So, you know, I kind of get that. I'm the same way with that whole whole thing. And, you know, I've had I've got a couple of rent houses and I've done most of the work um, on those. My stepdad's an electrician. And then Jamie, he's an HVAC. He owns an HVAC company. So, you know, we kind of have gone in and done all that manual labor. So I get that whole vibe, too, where you're just wanting to get in there and get stuff done. And and doing the flip houses and stuff has been really fun. Like I've enjoyed that. And then having the rent houses, having tenants is the worst thing ever. I hate it. But it's part of it. It's the worst ever. But I think over I'm going to tell you, I'm young still, like I'm only 34 and I'm a woman. So that's been a hard thing to overcome because still to this day, I have people come in my agency and they'll come in and they'll say, you know, who's the agency owner? And, or they'll say, are you the secretary? And I'm going to tell y'all, there's nothing wrong with secretaries. Some people are called to be secretaries and we need secretaries, but it pisses me off when somebody comes in there and asks me if I'm the secretary. Mm -hmm. So um, that has been the hardest thing. Um, But I will say this, um, as I've gotten out more and as I put my face out more and gotten in the community more, it's, it's become to where this is going to sound weird, but because I am younger and I have a younger market um, and I've got young farmers and young entrepreneurs and those type of people that are my clients, you know, I, you know, build their business insurance and then they buy a house and they have kids and they have, you know, cars and all that we wanted to make insurance cool again. And I know that may sound, can't sound kind of dorky, but you know, that has been the hardest thing to overcome is showing that insurance can be what you need it to be. And can I just ask a question real quick. Was insurance yeah. ever actually cool? to make? <laughs> I don't, you know, I feel like it, it, I don't know, like probably not, but to me, it's always been cool. I mean, I think it's like, an, I, I love insurance and, you know, it's not to be totally like progressive flow, but I, I do. I love it. And I just going back into what you're saying, I love getting into it. I love finding little things. I love finding little holes and coverages and stuff, but that has been the hardest thing for me is overcoming the stereotypes because when you, and no offense, when you think of insurance, you think of dudes in suits. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. White yeah. dudes in suits, white oh, dudes in right. suits. And I love it that I have this group of friends that are not only women agents, but, you know, my African-American friend agents and, you know, Asian agents and all these people that you 50 years ago, like I wasn't even allowed to vote back, you know, in the 20s, you know, whatever. And to even be an insurance agent now, like I had this huge like epiphany a few years back um, when um, overseas, like I, I watched this, I, got, I became obsessive over this thing um, uh, overseas where they talk about women's right to vote over there and how women aren't allowed to speak unless their husband's given them permissions. And I'm like, can you imagine not me not getting to own an insurance agency? Because I have a man in my life that tells me that I can't talk. And that's been the biggest thing is, you know, having a voice, but thankfully I'm surrounded by people like you guys People in my community, people, other agents around the country that. Well, look, let's go ahead and call it like it is, too. I can say this because I lived in Birmingham long enough to know that all of the other stuff that agents face in other parts of the country, specifically if you're a minority, whether that be sex based or um, racial, racially based, you're fighting a massive uphill battle anywhere in the South. And you are. and, And you're in that. Look, look. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Coleman, not the best reputation, right? As far as that stuff goes, you're in the epicenter of all of it. So, you know, having lived there, knowing the good old boys network, and I mean, it's a legit thing. Kudos to you for pushing through because there's a lot of people who would have never even started, let alone started and then just seen their way through to, to, you know, try and get to the other side. So you get massive props from me for that because I know Mm -hmm. exactly where you're at geographically. And all of this, and look, I get it. It's changed, but it mm-hmm. hadn't changed but enough. It hasn't. 
No, it hasn't. You know, and that's the one thing that I tell people, you know, when I graduated from Birmingham Southern, the benefit that I had, I had a bit of a drinking problem in college too. Mine was just not like mine, mine was self-induced and literally just made my college last longer. So yeah, it, it, it could have, in reality, having an addictive personality, I probably dodged a bullet to be completely honest. But what it did was it, it, it made me ruin my first stab at college so that when I went back and was on my own nickel, I was going to adult studies in the evening and I was literally going to the liberal, liberal arts curriculum on race and ethnic relations with people that lived it. Like not, not like heard about it or read about it in a book. I'm in a school in the middle of the civil rights district in Birmingham, Alabama with people who lived through hell on earth just to make it through that period of time. And to see that we'd even gotten to the point where they had the ability to go and and go to a school like Birmingham Southern and have their tuition reimbursed by their employer. So they had the ability to, to do that without you know draining their bank account. Yes, there's progress. But to hear the stories tells me we're still a century away from making any kind of real, real progress because we didn't get here overnight. None, none yeah. of what we deal with happened because of one decision somewhere it's been a series of things over and over and over again so you get a lot of you get a tip of the hat for me specifically because i know where you're mm -hmm. at and what you're dealing with and I, you know I, just great job keep going like stay keep staying self-aware and pushing pushing all the right buttons and stopping and taking time to take the trip you know enjoy Go to the concert, eat the cake, take the trip, all the cliche stuff that you hear people say. But, you know, for as much as I travel in as many places as, as I run into people that I've never gotten to meet in person before, the one question that I always am asked is, how do you do it, man? How do you have enough time to spend as much time with your family as you do? And the answer is simple. That's the first time I schedule. Everything else is second. And 100%. You know, it's easy to say that it's far more difficult to do it, but that's just something that I always said. I don't care if my agency's the biggest, I don't care if it's the most profitable. I don't care. You know, th there's so many things professionally that honestly don't matter to me one bit. What I care about is that my kids respect me, that they see what I've done, that they learned how to work hard, that if they want to be a part of the voyage, there's a way for them to do that. And you know, that's been extremely rewarding. I mean, I can only hope that at some point down the road, Ezra says, you know what, I'll, I want to make insurance even cooler. And, you know, oh, yeah. goes up with the pit <laughs> vipers in the mullet. And by then he'll be driving an El Camino, he um, will be, for sure. you know, and just wanting to take it to the next level. That's the most rewarding thing in the world. There's literally probably nothing I couldn't buy for myself at this point. And I don't, I don't say that to brag. The, the financial piece is, is not easy. You have to weather the storm, but you can become addicted to that. And if there's one thing that I wanted people to get out of this, regardless of what the variable is, if you are successful in this industry, most of the people I know have very addictive personalities. It doesn't matter yes. if it's the blackjack table or if it's you know going out and drinking with their buddies or you know, any number, you know, sports betting, any number of we're competitive, mm -hmm. you know, we're up for the challenge and, and, and we open ourselves up to a lot and just being able to remain self-aware and keep your head on straight. And then not being, look, one of the hardest things in the world to do is to ask somebody else for help, right? hundred percent. One of the hardest things in the world to do. And you, in many times we have to get to a place where we're so completely broken before we reach out and ask anybody for help that hopefully people listening to this will hear, don't let yourself get that far. It's okay to ask earlier. And, there it are is. and always, are always be a learner. That is another thing is you can learn from every person in, in this world. I mean, I had a conversation leaving Panama city the other night at two o'clock in the morning with a guy that owns one of the largest cleaning companies. And he was there at two o'clock in the morning with his people. And that was the biggest thing for me is always know when to speak and always be a learner because you, you need to use your voice when your voice needs to be heard and you need to learn from everybody, learn anything, even if it's as little as like you're talking about something that you read in a book, like you learning, everything will help you in anything. hundred percent. There you go. 
that is a good place to end it on. You were worried about coming on here and we've been going for an hour <laughs> and could probably easily go for another hour. So I wanted to tell you, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I cannot wait mm-hmm. to turn you into a cartoon <laughs> because this episode drops on Wednesday, believe okay, it or awesome. not. So it's going to actually drop in two days. And as quick as we get off of here, I'm sending the artwork over on a rush basis. So you're going to start seeing your mug on social really, really quick. But sincerely, thanks for taking time to come out and share your story. I appreciate Mm -hmm. um, everything you were open and honest about. And I can only hope that if there's somebody out there who's struggling and just even if you need a lifeline to somebody to talk to that's maybe been there, done that, reach out to Kalia. I'm sure she would be happy to to talk to you and, and listen to what you have to say and you know, maybe give you whatever advice she feels comfortable giving, but uh, don't just try and do it on your own. There's a world of people out there that are willing to help. So we will catch you guys next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.